Well, today um, I want to talk about uh, today I want to talk about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord, and um, I want to ask you, who is Jesus Christ? Um, lots of people have different thoughts. Uh, Queen Elizabeth said in a 2014 speech, I think it was her Christmas a message. Uh, the only message that doesn't get vetted by parliament apparently uh, in her uh, she said um, that jesus is still relevant to this day and his message of peace peace on earth and goodwill is needed as much as ever so there's one interpretation of who jesus christ is the singer nick cave has a bust of jesus on his piano you wouldn't have thought that would you and he thinks jesus is the most important person in the world most important important person who has ever lived sorry and he wrote in his forward to an edition of the gospel of mark which i've got back in the office um that uh jesus christ was the victim of humanity's lack of imagination he was hammered to the cross with the nails of creative vapidity so that's another interpretation of who who um jesus christ is but nick cave doesn't actually believe that he's the son of god rather he just thinks he's the greatest expression of the tragedy of humanity. The painter Van Gogh, who was the son of a Dutch reformed minister and worked for some time as a missionary to, uh, uh, to miners in um, Belgium, he said this about Jesus, Christ alone of all the philosophers, magicians, etc., has affirmed eternal life as the most important certainty, the infinity of time, the futility of death, the necessity and purpose of serenity and devotion. He lived serenely as an artist greater than all other artists, scorning marble and clay and paint, working in the living flesh. In other words, this peerless artist, scarcely conceivable with the blunt instrument of our modern, nervous and obtuse brains, made neither statues nor paintings nor books. He maintained in no uncertain terms that he made living men immortals. Another interpretation of who Jesus is. Well, I ask you, who do you think he is? When I used to do youth ministry, there was an exercise that we did um, sometimes. Uh, and we did this with uh, kids who weren't churchgoers as well, um, where I, I had a, um, a collection of pictures of Jesus and they're all different depictions of Jesus. So you might have like the peace loving hippie version of Jesus, you know, the God spell Jesus. Then you might have a kind of a tough, looking Jesus carrying his cross. Um, you'd have a, a trendy looking Jesus, um, Jesus with black skin, Jesus with white skin, an Asian Jesus, a very Jewish looking Jesus, baby Jesus in a manger, Jesus preaching to crowds, Jesus walking on water, Jesus depicted by Renaissance painters. And so this was all spread around the room, these different pictures. And we'd say, walk around the room, and, and stand next to the, per, the picture of Jesus who you think um, you most relate to or who, how you imagine Jesus when you think of who Jesus is. Each one of us has a different picture in our imagination of, in our mind of who Jesus is. Perhaps in some ways he conforms to our cultural ideas. Perhaps in some ways he conforms to our politics. Perhaps he looks like the Jesus of the storybooks that you read as a kid. How you think about Jesus really matters. 
And at the end of the day, who we think Jesus really is forms a basis for whether or not we are really a Christian disciple. We think most likely the earliest creed or creedal statement that Christians ever said were just two words. Kyrios Jesus, Jesus is Lord. It's three words in English and two in Greek. Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So really the statement we are going to look at today is the centerpiece of the Apostles' Creed. The jewel in the crown, the middle of the wheel where all the spokes come out of. Um, and the statement from the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Notice the centerpiece is not just an idea. It's not a philosophy. The jewel in the crown of the Apostles' Creed is a person. It's belief in a person, Jesus Christ. And Christian faith is about a personal relationship and connection with him. The Heidelberg Catechism, which was a statement of Christian beliefs for Protestants written in 1563, says it like this. Question, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ as Lord is not just a personal thing as well. It's not just something we do on our own privately. In our reading from Philippians 2 that Joe read out before, Paul writes in, his, in this short creedal hymn of praise to, to Christ in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's, it's, a, it's a belief that we have with lots of people, and the whole world is called to believe in, in Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 15, something really amazing. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, it is to say that we believe in the Jesus who shares the same identity with the God of Israel. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus is God. In the Old Testament, only God is called Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord. You only confess him as your Lord because you believe that he is the Lord. He rules above all powers. He is the hidden truth of creation. I just want to say two things about what this means for us now. Two things about what this means for us to say that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. First of all, it tells us about what he does and who he is. And secondly, it has a major impact on how we live our life. First of all, it's about what he does and who he is. Let's have a think about that. In Matthew 16, Jesus and the disciples were in the Roman city of Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon just near a spring of water. And he asked them a question, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, 
Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah or the Christos, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Here Peter revealed that he really, truly understood who Jesus is. He saw him as Messiah or Christ, which at that time was a title of hope to describe the human deliverer that God would send to save his people. And he saw him also as the son of the living God. There was a prophecy made about um, the son of King David, the future son of King David, his son Solomon, uh, who would be a savior for Israel, a savior kind of figure for Israel. And God says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. That's in 2 Samuel 7 verse 14, very famous verse. But in the scheme of the whole Bible, when we read that prophecy, we also see it has a greater fulfillment in the son of David, in Jesus, the greater son of David, the perfect king of Israel, who would be their saviour. So in some ways, saying son of God is saying another way of saying Christ. But actually, saying son of God adds a lot more to this title. Because Christ is saying Christ, it's not his surname, it's saying what his role is, what he does, and saying son of God is who he really is. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Even before he was born in Bethlehem, in a manger, he was the son of the father. Which is why in other major, the other major creed that we say, the Nicene Creed, it says, he was eternally begotten and not made. After he was baptized by, the, by John the Baptist, the father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. So without a doubt, a doubt, the most important belief a Christian has is that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God. A true Christian is someone who says that yes to Jesus and has repented of their sins. They say yes to Jesus as Lord. And this is why the majority of the Apostles' Creed is devoted to Jesus. It covers his title, his nature, his conception by the Holy Spirit, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his um, prediction that he will come again in glory to judge living and the dead. So if you, will, if you want to be a Christian, it's not enough to say, yeah, I, I just follow Jesus, man. He's, he's my friend. He's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm just a Jesus follower. It's not enough. You need to actually say that you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. And with all of that means, you're describing Jesus as he really is. He's not just your mate next door. He's not just your special friend or your boyfriend or whatever, although he is your friend. He's not some political leader that you can shape in your own political image. Rather, he's the son of God, the saviour sent by the whole, saviour sent to save the whole world. Well, that's what he does and who he is. 
But secondly, by saying that, that you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, it has a major impact on how we live our lives. If you have Jesus as your saviour, as your Christ, it means that you also have to have him as your Lord. You can't have one without the other. Now, there's a criticism that's been directed at some parts of the modern church over the last few decades that promotes a kind of faith that really um, embraces Jesus as saviour, but backs away from Jesus as Lord. Um, these types of Christians love praising Jesus and raising their hands and getting into the worship and the, all the feels, all the emotions, and yes, but then in their personal life, do you think they submit themselves to the Lord Jesus? Do you think they ha hand every part of themselves over or even a part, half of themselves over to, to the Lordship of Christ? Their money, their, their career, their intellect. What I want to say is, if you have Jesus as your saviour, then you have to have him as your Lord as well, by implication. So, for example, you need to know that Jesus, yes, has saved you from getting your significance from your wealth. So then, show him that he is truly your Lord by giving your money away. Show him that he's your Lord, the Lord of your money, by not always buying those luxury items that you think you need to buy. When you give, show him that, you're, that he is your Lord by giving cheerfully, knowing that it is pleasing to your Lord Jesus. When you shop, show him that Jesus is Lord over your money by shopping ethically. When you invest your money, if you can do that, show Jesus that he is your Lord by investing your money ethically. Jesus has also saved you from intellectualism. He has saved you from this burden of having to have special knowledge to be saved. So show that Jesus is really Lord of your intellect, your mind, by coming to him in intellectual humility, by being slow to speak and quick to listen, as James said, by acknowledging the wisdom of others before your own wisdom. Jesus has saved you from the pain and spiritual emptiness from finding your salvation in your career. So many people do this. I know that for some of us right now, it's hard to talk about career because our jobs might be on the line. Perhaps you have already lost your job. And let me say, I know that this must be really hard. And many of us might be feeling nervous about what the future holds for our work and employment, how we're going to afford to put food on the table, how we're going to afford to pay the rent or the mortgage. Living with Jesus as your Lord when you don't have work means that you don't let your self-esteem be crushed. You know your true status comes from not your work, but being saved by Jesus, by having him as your Lord. Living with Jesus as your Lord when you don't have work means not being ashamed to cry for help and ask your church community to get behind you and come to your aid. Do you see how this works? This is not meant to be a burden. This is not meant to be a guilt trip. 
If Jesus is your saviour, then he has to be your Lord as well. And he has to be Lord over not just part of your life, but your whole life. This is life-giving. To hand your life over to Jesus is life-giving. When Jesus is Lord over all the areas of our life, then we make good and wise decisions because he wants what is best for us. When we face suffering, we don't suffer alone. We have each other. And best of all, we have the Lord Jesus, who was fully human in every way. So he knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He himself suffered when he was tempted. So he is able to help those who are being tempted, as it said in the Hebrews reading. When you cry out to him, he weeps for you. He is with you and he sends his spirit to comfort you. He prays on your behalf to the Father when you don't know what to pray. If Jesus is your saviour, he's your Lord, and that makes a huge impact on the way we live our lives. What we've just said this morning, what I've just said this morning, has a huge concepts to wrap your head around. But the amazing thing is that little children can understand this and adults can understand this. Little children can know Jesus as their Christ and their Lord, the Son of God, and so can adults. And just as our understanding of human relationships expands and grows with time, so does our realisation of who Jesus is. And yet while this is true, Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 18, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I've been reading the first of the Narnia books, The Magician's Nephew to the, to the Boys, over the past week. And something that I love about the Narnia books is the way the author, C.S. Lewis, describes the relationship between the children in the, in the story and Aslan, who is the kind of Christ figure in the, in the story. And in the Prince Caspian book, he really captures this balance between the childlike innocence that you approach Jesus with and the growth with time that, that you, you get as a, as a person growing up in terms of your relationship with him. There's a point in the book, Prince Caspian, where Lucy notices what she thinks is something different about Aslan. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. The great, great quote there. If you are thinking about be becoming a Christian, if you are really attracted to Jesus Christ, you need to know that you don't need to be a sophisticated intellectual or have some kind of master, master understanding of the Bible to follow Jesus. You can just come to Jesus in humility and innocence too, like a little child, and you will find that every year you grow, you will find him a little bigger.